Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, August 13th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Disney reported some surprisingly strong streaming numbers. A recent NVIDIA keynote included a virtual replica of its CEO. What if USDC becomes a stablecoin de facto backed by the U.S. Fed? And in the weekend long-read suggestions, why stablecoins generally have become the linchpin of the crypto universe. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Disney Plus beat its Q3 subscriber estimates, reaching 116 million subscribers versus 114.5 million, which was expected. This came out during Disney's earnings call yesterday, where the Mouse House also revealed that ESPN Plus subscribers rose 75% year-over-year to 14.9 million subscribers, and Hulu grew 21% year-over-year to 42.8 million subscribers. Quoting TechCrunch, Disney also topped expectations across the board, with $17.02 billion in revenue versus the $16.76 billion expected, and earnings per share of $0.80 above analysts' expectations of $0.55. Even Disney Parks were back in business. Quote, Our direct-to-consumer business is performing very well, with a total of nearly 174 million subscriptions across Disney+, ESPN+, and Hulu at the end of the quarter, and a host of new content coming to the platform, noted Disney CEO Bob Chapek in a press release. Across Disney's direct-to-consumer business, revenues grew 57% to $4.3 billion, and its operating loss declined from $0.6 billion to $0.3 billion, thanks to improved results from Hulu, including subscription growth and higher ad revenues. These gains were offset by a higher loss at Disney+, Plus, attributed to programming, production, marketing, and technology costs that were somewhat mitigated by increases in subscription revenue and success of the Disney Plus premiere access release of Cruella." End quote. You may not have seen this, but back in April, NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang did a remote video keynote speech for the company's big developer conference from what looked like the kitchen of his house, which in COVID times may not be that weird, but still seemed, you know, a bit informal. Well, it was even more informal than that because Huang didn't even give the keynote at least part of the time. NVIDIA says, Part of its April keynote was led by a virtual replica of CEO Wong, created by scanning Wong and then training an AI to mimic his gestures. Quoting Motherboard. On Wednesday, NVIDIA revealed in a blog post that its CEO did not do the keynote presentation at the company's GTC conference in April. At least part of it was actually led by a virtual replica of Wong, created by digitizing Wong with a truck full of DSLR cameras and then animating him with the help of an AI, according to the company. Wong's Kitchen, which has become NVIDIA's venue for speaking to customers and investors since the beginning of the pandemic, was also entirely computer-generated. It's not clear exactly which part of the keynote speech features CGI Wong, which is what makes the replica so impressive, but if you jump to this part of the presentation, you can see Wong magically disappear and his kitchen explode into multiple different 3D models. To create a virtual Jensen, teams did a full face and body scan to create a 3D model, then trained an AI to mimic his gestures and expressions and applied some AI magic to make his clone realistic, NVIDIA wrote in the blog post. Digital Jensen was then brought into a replica of his kitchen that was deconstructed to reveal the holodeck within Omniverse, surprising the audience and making them question how much of the keynote was real or rendered, end quote. 
After this article was published, NVIDIA updated its blog post clarifying that, quote, only 14 seconds of the hour and 48-minute presentation were animated. The company also published a video on Wednesday talking about how they made the GTC keynote, which included a section on the making of Virtual Wong and his virtual kitchen. Omniverse is a platform that incorporates various tools for engineers to create animations, which the company calls a metaverse for engineers, end quote. Circle has announced it intends to become a bank fully regulated by the Federal Reserve, OCC, and FDIC, which could make its USDC stablecoin a de facto central bank digital currency. It's a bit arcane, but this could really be a huge deal. Quoting Axios, Circle's dream is to become a narrow bank, one that eschews fractional reserve banking entirely and instead places all deposits on reserve at the central bank. Only banks can open accounts directly at a central bank, which credits them with pure money. In Circle's case, the depositors would be holders of USDC, and the collateral backing up USDC would be the money on deposit at the Fed. Circle would pocket for itself the interest that the Fed pays on bank reserves. If the dream were to become reality, then Circle would effectively be issuing a cryptocurrency backed by the Fed itself. For all intents and purposes, a central bank digital currency, or CBDC. If Circle was allowed to do such a thing, then presumably other banks would be too, and they would rapidly start competing with each other to pass through most or all of the interest that the Fed pays on reserves. Buying those stablecoins would be tantamount to having money on deposit directly at the Fed, end quote. Stablecoins, which I long thought were this weird sort of boring corner of the crypto universe, are all of a sudden becoming the linchpins of the entire crypto ecosystem. In fact, more on that in a second. Before I make the point that I want to make about stablecoins in the long reads section coming up, let me give you this follow-up story about that big DeFi hack that happened earlier this week, because it'll lay the groundwork for the point I want to make. The hacker has reportedly given all the money back, and the company involved in the hack is even paying them what it is calling a bug bounty. But listen to the detail about a stablecoin known as Tether at the very end of this. Quote, Poly Network, the cryptocurrency platform which lost $610 million in a hack earlier this week, confirmed on Friday it had offered the hacker or hackers a $500,000 bug bounty. In a statement, it thanked the hacker, who it dubbed a white hat, sector jargon for an ethical hacker who generally aims to expose cyber vulnerabilities, who had returned the bulk of the funds for, quote, helping us improve Poly Network's security, end quote. The network also said it hoped Mr. White Hat would contribute to the blockchain sector's continued development upon accepting the $500,000 reward, which it had offered as part of negotiations around the return of the digital coins. The statement did not specify the form in which it would pay the $500,000. It said the hacker had responded to the offer, but did not say if it was accepted. A lesser-known name in the world of crypto poly network is a decentralized finance or DeFi platform that facilitates peer-to-peer transactions with a focus on allowing users to transfer or swap tokens across different blockchains. The as-yet unidentified hacker or hackers appear to have exploited a vulnerability in the digital contracts Poly Network uses to move assets between different blockchains, according to blockchain forensics company Chainalysis. According to Friday's statement, the hacker has returned $340 million worth of assets and transferred the bulk of the rest to a digital wallet jointly controlled by them and Poly Network. The remainder, 
held in Tether was frozen by the cryptocurrency firm behind the stablecoin. Quote, after communicating with Mr. Whitehat, we have also come to a more complete understanding regarding how the situation unfolded, as well as Mr. Whitehat's original intention, the statement said without giving further details. Poly Network announced the hack on Tuesday, but the following day said the hackers had begun returning the digital coins they had taken, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Time for the weekend long read suggestions. And as promised, here's a look at the sudden growing power of stablecoins from the great Joe Weisenthal. That recent DeFi hack that happened this week, turns out they ended up getting all of their money back, but that was partially because stablecoin Tether was able to freeze parts of the hack in its tracks. Stablecoins suddenly have an outsized power in crypto markets because they are the default way to do a lot of swapping between coins, so they're sort of the only people in a decentralized land who can throw their weight around like well, sort of like a central banker might in order to keep markets on the up and up. Because of this, stablecoins can become kingmakers, quoting Joe. Back in 2019, Haseeb Qureshi and Leland Lee argued that from here on out, there will be no more contentious hard forks of the Ethereum network. The argument is simple. A coin like Tether or USDC is a claim on a dollar's worth of assets sitting in a bank account somewhere. You therefore 
can't have a network split and a coin reside in two networks, creating a situation in which two competing coin owners have a claim on the same dollar. Whichever chain the stablecoin issuers choose is the winner, since that's where the real value will lie. As Joe Light has reported, regulatory scrutiny of stablecoins and the claims they make about their holdings is rapidly ramping up in D.C., and you can see why. For one thing, they're very big. According to data from The Block, their total AUM is now over $110 billion. But also, as their size grows, so does their power. They're the one entity that can reverse transactions. And in theory, they can even decide the fate of otherwise decentralized networks by throwing their support behind this or that chain decision. There's no reason to think that their power within crypto will do anything but grow anytime soon." End quote. Also, you might have noticed that NFTs have roared back into people's focus this month. Maybe you've seen bored apes. Maybe you've seen pudgy penguins or zombies. First, a quick update on the state of play in NFT land. This late summer of 2021 from Kevin Rose in the New York Times, quote, Community NFTs are group projects. They're released in sets of unique but thematically linked images that can be bought and sold individually. Buying a community NFT typically entitles you to certain benefits, including membership in a shared Discord server or access to a private Telegram channel where you can talk with other owners. The biggest perk, though, is getting to change your Twitter profile photo to your NFT, marking yourself as part of the in-crowd. The first community NFT was the CryptoPunks, a series of 10,000 pixelated characters that was sold starting in 2017. They became a luxury status symbol with single images selling for millions of dollars and paved the way for other community NFTs, including the Bored Ape Yacht Club, a group of 10,000 cartoon primates that now sell for upwards of $45,000 a piece. The way I describe it to my family members and friends is like people buy Supreme clothes or they buy a Rolex, Clayton Peterson, 23, one of the founders of Pudgy Penguins, told me in an interview. There are all of these ways to tell everyone that you're wealthy, but a lot of those things can be actually faked. And with an NFT, you can't fake it, end quote. So along those lines, earlier in the week, Packy McCormick had an essay that got a lot of chatter, delving into all of this using the analogy of status monkeys. Essentially, the NFT craze right now is about, again, signaling to folks that you're rich. Quote, NFTs are social capital with skin in the game. It's investment as a status. There are only 10,000 crypto punks and apes, and within that limited set, there are some that are particularly valuable and therefore high status. Owning a CryptoPunk or a bored ape and often displaying it as your Twitter or Discord or Telegram profile pic says something about you. They say that you were either early or you're rich or you were early and now you're rich. Using high-priced things to increase social capital is not new. Look at fine art, expensive cars, yachts, private jets, handbags, or any number of scarce things that very rich people buy to signal status. It's just that NFTs are even more legible and public. NFTs also have utility as investments, as tickets for access to Discord groups, and even as something that you can hang digitally on your wall. Over time, NFTs will give owners access to events and unique experiences as they evolve and infiltrate a wider audience. Already, buying a Bored Ape gives owners access to the Bored Ape Yacht Club. NFTs like Axies provide real utility. Ownership means employment for tens of thousands of people. MeBits from CryptoPunk creator Larva Labs come with 3D models and animations and could be used as characters in games, end quote. Next, a startup that I've been meaning to read up on and learn more about. Forbes looks at how Figma has become design's hottest startup, valued at around $10 billion, quote, 
The test version of Figma's product took years to launch, and many frustrated employees quit before it did. Asking questions is great, Fields mentor Wiener told him, but not at the cost of trusting your own instincts. When it came to charging for Figma, Fields' intuition told him to hold off and keep tinkering with the product. But when a user at Microsoft warned that Figma's adoption was slowing at the tech giant because of doubts that a free startup could be trusted, Field acted faster. Going back into research mode, he opted for a model, inspired by Australian software outfit Atlassian, of simple tiered pricing of $12 or $45 per editor. Many users still opt for the free version. Later, when some big-name customers, notably Google, asked for volume discounts, Field jumped on the phone to explain why Figma wouldn't budge. Quote, people come around and understand, or they don't, and they don't go with us, he says. Today, with $200 million in fresh funding, Figma must decide how to prioritize international expansion. Already, 80% of users are outside the U.S., and its latest round included global-minded strategic investors such as Brazil's base partners. Potential acquisitions, it has bought two startups, including one that revamped Figma's mobile app, and new features to help it achieve its goal of becoming an end-to-end solution, end quote. And finally, one of the great holy grails of science and technology is fusion the way the sun powers the entire solar system. If we can do fusion ourselves here on planet Earth in an affordable way, i.e. you get more energy out than it costs to make the energy going in, then we would have unlimited nuclear power without any of the drawbacks of nuclear power, like, say, the risk of meltdowns or radioactive waste. We'd have virtually unlimited power that has no carbon or pollution issues. See what I mean? The literal holy grail. If anyone ever cracks so-called cold fusion, it would completely transform the global economy, the very trajectory of the human race, even. For 50 years, the hype cycle and the investment cycle in fusion tech has waned and waxed. It's on the upswing again in recent years, and the New York Times has a tantalizing piece asking, is a well-funded startup founded by MIT scientists getting close? Quote, More than two dozen private ventures in the United States, Europe, China, and Australia, and government-funded consortia are now investing heavily in efforts to build commercial fusion reactors. Total investment by people such as Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos is edging toward $2 billion. Some of the startups and consortia are building powerful lasers to generate fusion reactions, and others are exploring new kinds of fuels. Most of them are professing a similar vision, that they will be able to prove that their technology can produce competitively priced electricity this decade and build commercial plants to feed electricity into power grids soon after 2030. Commonwealth's new magnet, which will be one of the world's most powerful, will be a crucial component in a compact nuclear fusion reactor known as a tokamak, a design that uses magnetic forces to compress plasma until it is hotter than the sun. The reactor looks like a donut-shaped jar surrounded by magnets. Soviet physicists originally envisioned it in the 1950s. Commonwealth Fusion executives claim that the magnet is a significant technology breakthrough that will make tokamak designs commercially viable for the first time. They say they are not yet ready to test their reactor prototype, but that the researchers are finishing the magnet and hope it will be workable by 2025. The scientists in Massachusetts hope that this month they will demonstrate a magnetic field that is almost twice the strength of the magnets planned for use by a global consortium of the European Union and six other countries that is assembling a reactor in France. The consortium hopes to begin generating electricity at the site in 2035." End quote. Ooh, Friday the 13th, spooky. 
This weekend, by the way, Ride Home Plus subscribers are getting an interesting Rays episode, including a look at OpenSea, maybe the biggest unicorn in all of crypto at the moment. And everybody will get access to the Twitter space, where Chris and I talked about Samsung's new foldable and flippable phones. And in the second half of that episode, we basically talked to half of the founding and engineering team behind 1Password. It kind of happened by accident, but if you want to hear about the strategic engineering and product decisions that go on behind the scenes of a high-profile unicorn, definitely listen to the second half of that. Talk to you on Monday.